Good morning, everyone. We continue in Kingdom, the story this morning, and we've said that the Bible can be a difficult book to read depending on where you dive into it, but that there is one unified story from beginning to end that answers our most important questions in life. We saw in Genesis 1 and 2, what is God like? How does he work? We answered that question. We, we said, who are we and what is our purpose? Genesis 1 and 2 answered that. And in Genesis 3, we, where we see the good, the bad, and the really bad, we answer the question, uh, what, is, what is it about life? Why does it work the way it does with the mixture of good and evil? <clears throat> and having started so right, we've seen that the story takes a downward spiral until we end up at Genesis chapter 11 with the question, can there be any hope for this world? Or is this just going to be a sad, sad story in the way that it ends? Those are good questions. It's not unusual for movies to take a script and alter it for the showing so that at the end, the audience is satisfied. It ends up being happy. See, we like to, we like to end on a good note, a good feeling. We want that for the movies we watch, just like we want our own stories to end well. David Ebenbach, he teaches creative writing at Georgetown University. Uh, he's a realist, and by his own admission, he writes sad stories. He says, more than once I've been asked why I don't write happy stories. Well, I've been asked by friends, family, strangers, even those who pay his bills, and even the president of the college. My wife, too, messed up a perfectly nice date by reminding me in the middle of my complaining about how hard it is to get published that, after all... People like to read about hope, beauty, wonder. I find that last statement so interesting because as we've looked at the beginning of God's story in Genesis 1 and 2, we saw beauty in the things that God made. They were beautiful. They were good. We saw wonder in the fact that God in his power could speak creation into existence and the moon and the stars and the sun happened by his creative voice. It's amazing and now as we look into Genesis chapter 12, we discover hope in a whole new way. And I wonder, is it, could we be wired for this wonder, beauty, hope? At the end of Genesis 11, we're, we're left with this mess. The end of, beginning of Genesis 12, we see God's plan to rescue humankind from that mess as he gives a filled promise of hope. Genesis chapter 12, if you want to join me there, in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed." I don't know where today finds you in your experience. I do know that I've talked to enough people even in this last week that have been going through difficulties and sometimes it's not just like one thing. It can be a wave after wave of, of trial and difficulty and it's hard. It's really hard. In the New Testament book of Hebrews, there's a letter to a group of Christians that are going through real difficulty. And the reason they're going through that is because they put their faith and trust in Jesus. And it's gotten so difficult. Some of them have lost their property. Some of them probably could not work because people didn't want to employ or do business with a Christian. And so it's been very difficult. And some of them are thinking of going back, away from Jesus, back to embrace Judaism. And, and the writer to the Hebrews is encouraging 
pushing them. Don't shrink back. Don't give up. Don't lose your confidence. Don't lose your hope. And in doing that, as he writes to them, he says this in Hebrews chapter 6. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And look where he goes. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. When the writer wants to encourage the church, hundreds of years later, he goes all the way back to this season when God is working with Abraham and he reminds the people to be like that, to be encouraged by that. For the followers of God's way, there can be hope because our hope is rooted in history. Our hope is rooted in God's activity in time and space, in real history with real people like God with Abraham. This is what our faith is based on. So we will see as we look at this true historical story, as bad as the situation is, God is committed to his people That God works in and through his people. And we're going to begin by talking about how God's promise is to bless his people. Back to Genesis chapter 12 verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The story that Genesis is is bringing to us now focuses on one family. It had just finished off on sort of all of humanity and its wickedness. And now it brings us to this one family, this hinge point. And if you are a Christian today, you need to know that you're related to him. You're related to Abraham. And God's plan is to rescue and bless the world through this person, his family, and his descendants. We see this pattern in in Genesis so far. There's God's kingdom rule. And so God gives the the first couple, the garden, he tells them to do right, to walk with God, to multiply and to extend God's kingdom, to fill the earth with his glory. But we have rebellion in the kingdom. So Adam and Eve eat the fruit that they're not supposed to eat. Cain murders. The whole earth becomes filled with evil. And then we have the Tower of Babel where people are making this uh, construction in order to build a great name for themselves. Exactly the opposite of what we want to do here. Then we see there's a kingdom judgment, death, spiritual death, and eventually physical death comes to Adam and Eve, and so it comes to us. Cain becomes a nomad. There's a flood because the earth is so wicked. And then at the Tower of Babel, the people are are put into um, disarray by God confusing them with different languages, and the nations scatter. But it doesn't end there. There's a solution. There is a kingdom solution. This pattern After Adam and Eve sin, there's this promise that the the seed of man will bruise the head of the serpent. There's the mark given to Cain to protect him. There's the ark for Noah. And now we find that God's plan, his plan of rescue and salvation, comes to a man and his family, the call of Abraham. Kingdom pattern, kingdom perished. Today, kingdom promised. These are categories out of Vaughn Roberts' book, God's big picture. And so let me just quote from him. He said, his words to Abraham, speaking of God, are the first clear statement of God's promises, the gospel. They will dominate the rest of the Bible. John Stott has written, it may be said without exaggeration that not only the rest of the Old Testament, but the whole of the New Testament 
are an outworking of these promises of God. Genesis 12, one to three is the text the rest of the Bible expounds. Now from a natural perspective, Abraham is really not an, an ideal candidate for God rescuing the world. Think about it, he's old, his wife is old, they don't have any children, he's a nomad, he doesn't own any property. And maybe that's why God chose him, because he's so unlikely. Because in when God does something, it's not about what we can do, it's about what God can do. So if the situations would seem hopeless to Abraham, maybe our situations seem hopeless, but they're never hopeless because of God, in God. Not when God chooses to act, not when God initiates. And so we read, and notice the I wills. God's declaration of what he's going to do in these verses, in this promise to Abraham. I will show you. I will make. I will bless. I will bless. I will protect you. I will curse. We have seen that God is all powerful. He creates from nothing. So there's nothing that can stop what he chooses to do. And we find here this amazing thing that God's desire is to bless. To bless. I will bless. Blessing. Bless. I will bless. And given what we have seen in the history of mankind, this is absolutely remarkable. If you talk to a police officer sometime and, and they will tell you that the worst calls typically that they go to are domestic calls where there's infighting. And the worst of the domestic calls is when there's a, there's a fight between man and woman when there's been infidelity uh, involved, when someone has broken the trust that they have for one another, when love has been scorned. As we read the creation story, God is created because God loves. God's initiated a relationship with mankind out of that love, but God has been scorned. His creation has rejected him to rule over themselves. But this is what is amazing. God's bent is to come back and still to bless, bless, bless. God initiates again, again to Abraham his undeserved Blessing, because God works in and through people. When God promised Abraham that he was going to bless him, it was not just for Abraham's own self-indulgence. God says, I will bless you in order that you can be a blessing. God's plan was through what he would do in Abraham, that the blessing of God that would have flowed through him and reached the nations. That was the promise, that was the plan. It will happen through a man who is completely undeserving, but a man who does obey. We read in Genesis chapter four, 12, verse 4. So Abraham's heard the call of God, and it says, So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Let me just stop there. I don't know if some of you, I don't know how old you are, but if you're, I don't know if you're, when you think about retiring someday, or maybe you're there already, maybe you're in your 70s or 60s, and maybe you are retired, or you think about it someday. Is this what you would want for your retirement plan? You have no kids. At age 75, God comes to you and completely messes up your world, gives you a promise, and tells you to move, leave your family. Like, is that what you would want in your retirement plan? Yes. Abraham goes. <laughs> There's at least one of you. And he took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And as he obeys, God meets him there again. 
and reaffirms part of his promise. Verse seven of chapter 12, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. This is the promise that continues the theme of the kingdom of God. Remember we said the kingdom of God is the rule of God and the realm of his blessing. So it's God's people in God's land under God's rule. So with Adam and Eve, we saw they were God's people. The, the God's place was the Garden of Eden and they were given the word of God. They were to be under his rule. So now it will be with Abraham. Abraham and his descendants will be God's people. The place will be Canaan. And they will be under God's rule, which is a place of blessing as they walk in obedience. A promise has been given. It's so promising. But the chosen soon stumble. We read on in Genesis chapter 12 that God works in and through imperfect people. So let me summarize what's going to happen. There's a famine in the land in the Canaanite area. And so uh, Abraham must take his family and go, go to Egypt and as they go there, uh, Abraham's beginning to be concerned about his own personal well-being. And, and, and it's, it's a surprising story because we know that Sarah's old. But I guess even in her old age, she was still like cover material. She's drop-dead gorgeous. And so Abraham is worried about that when he, they go to Egypt, they're going to kill him and take his wife because she's that beautiful. And as the story goes on, um, obviously it's true, true enough, because the princes take note of, of Sarah when she comes into Egypt and they start talking and then they talk to Pharaoh. And, and, and so because Abraham has a strategy, he's worried about this and he has this sick man-made strategy. He's taken his eyes off God. He's taken his eyes off of God's promise. He's allowed his faith to waver and so he said to his sister, or his wife, tell him, tell him you're my sister, which was sort of half true, but she was his wife. Tell him you're my sister. So Pharaoh takes Sarah with integrity, thinking she was just Abraham's sister. And, and God deals with the situation and all kinds of bad stuff start ha happening to Pharaoh and his, his kingdom. So that Pharaoh gets it. Seems like he has more integrity than Abraham. And the situation is rectified. It's imperfect people that God has given this promise to. But God doesn't give up on them. We need to see this. And he comes to Abraham again. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, oh, Lord God, what... What will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. That's real life, isn't it? You know how it is for you. You can read God's word. You're, you're familiar with a promise. You've heard it more than once. And you're in a situation now where that promise is being tested. And it's even getting worse. And God doesn't seem to be anywhere. He doesn't seem to be showing up. Things aren't being fixed. And in those moments, it's easy to ask, God, like, what about this situation? What, what about me? Like, where are your promises? Isn't that real life? God works in and through imperfect people. Look what God says to him in verse 4, chapter 15. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, 
This man shall not be your heir, your very own son. Do you know how old Abraham is? Yes, your very own son shall be your heir. And you brought him outside and said, Luck towards heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And it says, And he, Abraham, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. What made Abraham, later his name is changed to Abraham, what made Abraham righteous? Was it that he could perfectly follow God? Was it that his faith was perfect? No. But at the end of the day, in the bottom line, he believed God. And it says God counted him as righteous. This is a New Testament concept. And that's why we are called the children of Abraham. Because none of us comes into a right relationship with God by our perfection. By the things that we can do right It is only by what God can do and what he has done for us and simply that we believe him, that we take him for who he is and what he's done and we say, I believe and we are made righteous. We know our failures, but see, this is why we can live in hope because it's not about us and what we can do. We can believe because God is committed to his people and what he will do for us. In Hebrews 6 it says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. As we continue in Genesis 15, Abraham questions God about the land that is promised. It says, But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Like, how can you just confirm this promise to me? You've promised descendants. You've promised a land. You've promised to bless me. How can you confirm this to me in, in regards to the land? Now, what would you expect? What would happen? Well, here's what God does. He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. Now, when you're... When you're uh, affirming a promise to someone, they ask you, are you going to show up tomorrow at 5 o'clock? And you say yes. And they say, can you give me some proof of that? This is what you would do, isn't it? Gather a bunch of animals. Farmers, help me. Those of you that have a farm and you have animals, chickens, isn't this this what you do to confirm that you're going to keep your part of a commitment or bargain? Isn't this what you do? You take a bunch of animals, you put them beside each other, you cut them in half and set them in rows. Isn't that what we do today? Yes, there are parts in the Bible that when you read them, they're hard to understand. But let me explain to you contextually what's going on. This would have been a common day reflection of what's called the Suzerain Treaty. That would be a treaty between a dominant king and his kingdom and an inferior king and his kingdom, allowing that inferior king and kingdom to have some autonomy in where they live. So high trust is involved And in order to sort of uh, commit themselves to the trust that they're going to honor the commitments they make to one another, they would go through a ceremony like this. The common custom was to cut a covenant with blood. And so they cut animals in half and they put them in rows and then the two parties would walk between the animals cut in half and all the blood spilled there. And as they're walking between them, what they are saying is, I am fully committed to keep this agreement. 
to keep this covenant. And the other party is saying the same thing. I am fully committed. I fully agree to keep this covenant. So much so that if I don't keep my end of the bargain, here's what should happen to me. Let me be as that animal and his blood who's cut in half. That's what's going on here. Memorable, severe, serious. They say one of the most memorable and often referenced movie scenes in pop culture is from the 1972 Godfather. I haven't seen it, seen pictures. In the movie, a character turns down a request from the Godfather played by Marlon Brando, and that's not a good thing. So the Godfather sends a visible message, and the character wakes up one morning in his bed, and as he awakens to his horror, he realizes that his thoroughbred's horse's head and all its blood has been spilled on his bed. Unforgettable. See, this was the point of this kind of covenant. You've got blood, you've got animals cut in half. This is serious. Never forget this covenant that we are making. But Abraham falls asleep. Do you see that? Abram falls asleep. And while he sleeps, God reveals that the promise that he's been talking to him about is going to take some time. Abram's descendants will be in Egypt for 400 years, but God will bring them back. And then we read this in verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. What's happening is God alone, in front of these animals, in the form of a smoking fire pot and torch, walks through without Abraham. It will never be about what Abraham can do. It will never be about Abraham's ability to keep the covenant. It will be all and only about what God will do. That if man can't keep their part of the bargain, God himself will take upon himself the suffering, the death, Does that ring a bell? A God who will take the place of humanity and suffer in their place if they're unable to fulfill their part of a relationship with God. A suffering God in the place of humanity. One unified story always pointing to Jesus Christ. As we read on after this incredible time, Sarah and Abraham stumble some more. Natural baby's not born yet, so Sarah suggests uh, Abraham have a child with one of her servants. His name is Ishmael. It creates all kinds of problems. They are imperfect people, but God never wavers in his commitment to them and to his promise. Later, he reaffirms his promise, and like kings would do, he assigns new names to their dynastic rule. So Abraham, Abram, which means high father, is, his name is changed to Abraham, which means father of multitudes. And Sarah, which means my princess, her name is changed to Sarah, which means mother of nations. God is determined to fulfill his promise. And we read in Genesis chapter 21, this aged, decrepit couple who would probably be, I don't know, is there a home for them here? For the hundred plus 
the 99 plus. She gives birth to a child. Isaac is born. It's the beginning. It's the seed of a promise that will be fulfilled in a further descendant down along the line and his name will be Jesus. The solution to the world that begins with Abraham and his family will ultimately and only be filled and perfectly filled in Jesus Christ. How amazing though that God was working on this back then. You know, as we read the story of the Bible, so often people focus on the lists of do's and don'ts and rights and wrongs and but I think as we, as we see this story from beginning to end, it really is a story about how God rescues the world from ourselves. It's about God's greatness. It's about God's mercy. It's about God's love. It's about God's initiative. It's about how God says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. He had salvation in mind, we learn in the New Testament, from before the foundation of the world, what he would do in his son, Jesus Christ. Before the foundation of the world, Jesus would be cut. He would be slain in God's mind in a moment in history to accomplish what God wanted to accomplish, the right relationship with him and the fulfillment of his blessings. It says to New Testament believers in Ephesians chapter one that we are blessed in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. You see, I will bless you, Abraham. And that blessing flows from the seed of Abraham to Jesus in whom we have every spiritual blessing. So we need to see as we think about our own story and we connect our story to God's story from beginning to end. God is a God who, as you were sleeping this morning, spoke a promise of blessing over you as he did to Abraham. Before you arrived this morning, God had worked for thousands of years for you to make a way to experience the relationship that you have with him right now. Before you arrived this morning, God had delivered on his promise. And maybe before you even knew you had a problem with God, if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you didn't know there was a problem with God, before you even knew that, God is already ready to show you and provide for you the solution in his son, Jesus Christ. Is there hope for you? Is there hope for this world? In Jesus Christ, the answer as it began in Abraham is yes. Yes, yes. As you came in the door this morning, I, I don't know if you saw it. On the door it said more hope on some of our glass doors. God's people, when they understand his story and, and the commitment that God has towards them, should be the most hope-filled people in the world because of what we have and the God that we serve and love. So how do we respond? How do we then live out a hope-filled response? Well, Hebrews chapter 6 tells us that we should be followers of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises as it was with Abraham, it begins with belief that you don't give up in the hard times. You don't give up when it's difficult. You don't give up when God seems silent. You're faithful. You're patient. You endure. God's blessing doesn't mean that every situation in our life is going to be sweet like candy. But he will be with us. And his promise will always be vindicated to us, in us, and through us. As we believe, then we go. We obey we're on a mission like Abraham was on a mission. 
He is told to go, and that means he's willing to sacrifice so many things. It's not to be with his family. He's got to sacrifice his comfort, his familiarity for something better that God says he will show, them, show him. And God doesn't map it all out for Abraham. Just like it is for us in following God, we want to walk with him, believing and in faith. There are going to be times where we don't know what the, the next five steps are, but we do know what the next one is. And by faith and obedience, we walk in that next step, and then God reveals more. That's what a hope-filled people live like. And then lastly, worship. Four times, as in this story with Abraham and God, when Abraham encounters God, four times he builds an altar. It's a place of remembrance. I met God here. And it's a place of worship and sacrifice. We need to remember who God is and what he's done for us. We need to remember that his promises are yes and amen in Jesus. This morning we have an opportunity to do that in worship as we celebrate the Lord's table. I'm going to invite the servers to prepare that as we do. At the Lord's table, Jesus took the elements of bread and cup and he gave them a whole new meaning. He said this bread that you're going to eat represents my body, this cup that you're going to drink represents my blood. It's all about a new covenant that Jesus was, was instituting so that we could come into a relationship with God through what Jesus Christ ultimately would do on the cross through his life, death, and resurrection. If you're here this morning and you know, you're not in that place yet with Jesus, with God, um, we invite you to continue on that journey to learn more about who Jesus is and and what he's done for you and, and how he's made a way for you to be in a living relationship with the eternal God. But if you're not there yet, um, I just invite you to let the elements pass you by. But if you are and you're saying, you know, I, I want to step in. I, I believe and I, I want to step into this. Then we invite you just to take the elements with us as we do. This is for God's uh, children, part of their relationship with him. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to hand out the elements. I invite you to hold them, and we'll take them together. God, I just want to thank you for what you reveal to us in your word about your disposition towards us, Lord, that your disposition towards us is to bless us, to have relationship with us. Lord, I thank you for these words spoken to Abraham Thank you for the example of your ability to keep promise when all the odds seem stacked against a person, Lord. Nothing is impossible to you. Lord, may that be true in our own lives where we believe you for the impossible, where we believe you, God, always to come through in our lives, not just in the present, but the future that we read about and, and dream about, Lord, of spending eternity with you. And as we celebrate, Lord, the, the bread and the cup, we want to worship you, Lord, and say thank you. Thank you for what you've done. And we look forward to eating that with you in the future. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.